universal symbol on power buttons tells us where we can power a device on. It gives us access to power. But for other areas of life where we need power, we are not sure where the power on button is. Join us and our lead pastor, Brian Lane, as we find the power button that Jesus has given us in our Easter message, Power On. And as they're kind of collecting the offering, I'm just going to get started here, and it's Easter Sunday, the, the big Sunday of the church year. Everybody's saying, oh, it's Super Bowl Sunday for the church. You know, this is the big game, the big day, and how many of you have an awesome meal planned sometime this afternoon or this evening with your family? Who's got the, the meal plans out there? All right. So what are you guys having for your meal? Pizza. Pizza. That's, I've never heard that one before. <laughs> Anybody planning Ham. Any ham eaters out there? We got a couple of them. See, when I was a kid, that's what we always had when we had our Easter meal was ham. And has anybody ever really thought about eating ham on Easter? Because it's pork, and the Jews don't eat pork, but yet we're eating pork. But the good news in today is that Jesus rose from the dead so that we could eat some pork, baby. That's what I'm talking about. We can have some ham, we can have some ribs, we can have some bacon, we can have some pulled pork. And those reasons right there are just enough to celebrate, aren't they? All right. Well, this morning, as you've already heard, we're going to be talking about powering on today. And we all know this symbol here that's on the screen. We all know that as our power button. We see it on our computers. It's on our television sets. It's on a lot of devices that we have in our homes that we carry around in our pockets. And, and it's there to let us know where it is that you go to turn on the power to use the device. And so when we want to turn something on, we find that button and we press it. Now, it's not always a device that needs power, right? Sometimes we need power. When we get up in the morning and your alarm has gone off after a long weekend, how many of you need some power in order to make it to work on Monday morning? All right, a couple of you do. It seems like most of you got this, all right? So maybe I'm, I'm giving the wrong message. But where do we go to? What's our go-to when we need to power up? Coffee. If you're under 25, it's probably a monster or something like that, right? Us older people, we can't drink that stuff because we'll die. I mean, that's just, our, my body goes crazy when I drink it. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's what we do. We turn to coffee. We turn to something to power up our brain. We also have things like the batteries in our cell phones, right? We've got the batteries in here that, that bring power and bring life to this thing. And, and, you know, sometimes these batteries, when they fail or when power fails, it can be a bad thing, can it? Because a couple of weeks ago, I had uh, taken out my computer on a Friday, and uh, I had put it on our counter, and I turned it on. And I, was, I, I thought I had shut it back off, but instead of shutting it back off, I just set it down on the counter and left it there. Well, what happened was my computer decided to do an operating system update with it not being plugged in. So it started running the update, and if anybody has been in this experience before, you know what's going to happen. As the update was running, my battery died in my computer. Well, what happens when you're in the middle of an operating system update and your battery fails? Your computer fails. And so it was $150 to get my computer back because of a power failure on my computer. Well, this morning we are going to talk about power, 
Because for some things in life, we can flip a switch, we can plug into an outlet, we can drink a cup of coffee or a monster or connect to a battery. But there are many things in life that unless we have a shot of divine power, unless we get that power from a power source beyond what we can see or create or beyond what is available to us on this earth, we are not going to see anything happen. What do I mean? As Lisa said when she got up here to pray, there are some of us in this room this morning or people that we know that have sickness in their body and their doctors have said to them, this is not going to be cured. And when you're in that situation, you need more than just a nice word from somebody. You need a shot of power to touch that area in your life to bring healing in that situation. For others, there's something that has a stronghold in your life. There's something that has a grip on you and you can't shake it. No matter how hard you try, no matter what you do, it just sits there and it holds on and it sinks its talons in and it won't let go of you. You've tried to get rid of it. You've tried to get free from it, but it's still there. And the deal is the only way to get free from it is a power beyond the power that we have access to in our life right now. And there's others that are looking at their walk with Jesus and they're saying, you know, this Jesus thing, it's a fine thing. It's a, I'm a good person, but it doesn't seem like there's anything else there. There doesn't seem like there's any other source of, of life in that thing. Jesus is here to bring power in that situation as well. And in this morning's message, we are going to encounter the power that can change those situations and circumstances. And so we're going to be in two different places in the New Testament this morning. Uh, We're going to start off in the book of John. We're going to be in chapter 18. Um, Both of the texts we are looking at, uh, these surround Jesus' arrest, okay? And so we're not going to be talking about the crucifixion and the resurrection, that sort of thing this morning. We're going to be focusing on Jesus' arrest in this time. And I know that's kind of odd because you're supposed to talk about the resurrection on Easter Sunday. We will get to the resurrection at the end of the message, but that's not going to be our primary focus. And as I said, we're going to be in the book of John today. And if you don't have a Bible or you don't know where the book of John is, it's going to be on the screen behind me. Um, It's the fourth book in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But John is an interesting character. When he wrote his, his gospel account of the story of Jesus, his is kind of different than the other threes. He includes stuff, information, and stories that, uh, that, that are not found in the other three Gospels. And so it makes reading his book, his, his words, the things that he had, had, had written down about Jesus rather interesting because it's a little bit different than the others take on it. And this morning, though, this event is found in all four of the Gospels, uh, the arrest. The difference is, is that John chose to focus on a different point than the rest of the Gospel writers did. Um, the others focus on the kiss and the betrayal by Judas. But John focuses on the power of God at work in the situation. And so we're going to be reading verses 1 through 11 of chapter 18. And uh, this is what it says, John uh, chapter 18, verses 1 through 11. When he had finished praying, Jesus left with his disciples and crossed the Kidron Valley. On the other side, there was a garden, and he and his disciples went into it. Now Judas, who betrayed him, knew the place because Jesus had often met there with his disciples. So Judas came to the garden, guiding a detachment of soldiers and some officials from the chief priests and the Pharisees. They were carrying torches, lanterns, and weapons. Jesus, knowing all that was going to happen to him, went out and asked them, Who is it you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. I am he, Jesus said. And Judas the traitor was standing there with them. When Jesus said, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Again he asked them, Who is it that you want? Jesus of Nazareth, they said. 
Jesus answered, go, or I told you that I am he. If you are looking for me, then let these men go. This happened so that the words he had spoken would be fulfilled. I have not lost one of those you gave me. Then Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded uh, Peter, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup the Father has given me? All right, to start off with and lay a foundation, what we're going to look at today, I want to talk about two things in the text. To, uh, and the first place that we're going to talk about here to set this whole thing up is the Roman soldiers that were dispatched to arrest Jesus. Now, it says in the text that they had sent out a detachment of soldiers. What exactly does that mean? What does that look like? Because if we were to fast forward to today and think about somebody being arrested, what's the kind of picture that we have in our minds as far as that goes? You know, we picture a squad car or two showing up at somebody's house, right, knocking on the door, and it takes one or two officers to take someone into custody. I mean, if it's a really serious situation, they'll, they'll call the uh, SWAT team, right, and they'll have like 30 people surrounding a house in order to take someone down. And so it doesn't take a large amount of people. And this was back in the days here with the story of Jesus was back in the days before people had guns. And so Jesus, all he could have been armed with was a stick and a club or a sword or something like that. But the Roman soldiers show up with this whole garrison. And what we need to know about this is how many men were in this unit. In a Roman garrison, there was roughly three to 600 individuals. And so they show up at G- where Jesus is out in the garden praying with three to 600 soldiers. Now, these Roman soldiers were just, weren't any normal soldier. They were actually stationed in the city of Jerusalem. And what we've got to, why we've got to know that information is because the ones who were stationed in Jerusalem were special forces type guys. They had the special forces in Jerusalem because Jerusalem was a pain in the Roman butt, okay? That's the only way to describe it. That city was constantly in rebellion. They were constantly looking for a way to fight the Romans, to get the Romans out of their city, and so they were always rising up. They were always, um, um, guys were were coming out of the woodwork and, and getting men and women to rally around themselves and then going into the city and starting riots and trying to combat the Roman soldiers. And so because of this, you had an armed forces that was trained in uh, riot suppression, uh, urban combat, hand-to-hand combat, all of those things. And so these three to 600 men go out with Judas to arrest Jesus. But they don't just stop there. There wasn't just three to 600 Roman soldiers on the scene. It also says there were officials from the temple. And this is the second thing that's important for us to understand this morning. Who were these guys? The temple officials were men who served as police officers at the Roman temple. Why were there police officers, I'm sorry, at the uh, Jewish temple? And why were there Roman police, or I mean, why were there police officers, get Rome out of your head. All right, why were there police officers at the Jewish temple? Well, there was two reasons for that. One, because of all the riots and insurrection that happened in the city. Okay, they needed to uh, keep peace. They didn't want riots coming into the temple. And the second thing was to enforce the Jewish religious law. The leaders of the temple were in charge of making sure that the law, and if you're not familiar with that term, it's the term that the Jews used for the Old Testament rules and regulations, but they wanted to make sure that all of the Jews followed the law. If they heard of somebody breaking the law, they could call them before this court of leaders and hear evidence and determine whether they were guilty or innocent of breaking the law. 
Once a judgment was given from the religious courts in regards to the law, it was the responsibility of the temple police to carry out the orders. So let's say a guy ate lobster. Or even worse, they had ham on Easter Sunday. Maybe some bacon one day for breakfast. And the Jewish leaders found out about what was going on. They would bring you up on charges and bring you in and charge you with a crime against the, the, a God. And, and then the Jewish, the, uh, these Jewish uh, police officers were actually the ones responsible for going out and making sure that you did what you were supposed to do, what the Jewish council had determined was your punishment for the thing that you had done. So the local police and the federal government show up to execute an arrest warrant against Jesus. We can estimate there was four to 800 people in this task force sent to arrest Jesus. That's a pretty good show of force and power, isn't it? I mean, it makes you wonder what the chief priests told, or what Judas told the chief priests about what Jesus was capable of, because why would they need to send out that big of a force against a man who had been in the city of Jerusalem all the time speaking and ministering and and doing things and, 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 he was a favorite of the people, and, and he never had weapons with him, but yet here they are sending off this huge attachment to arrest Jesus. It's because they had a perception of Jesus that was not rooted in the truth. And I believe this morning that there are people that walked into this room today that have a perception of who Jesus is. And because of your perception of who Jesus is, there is a fear in your life. That fear in your life is that, you know what, if I give myself to Jesus, if I follow Jesus, he is somehow going to do something with my life to mess it up, to make me weird, to make me different. And because of that, it brings out a fear in you of trying to connect with who Jesus is. So you're afraid you're going to be replaced with a person that you don't know and you don't like because I like myself. Well, let's, let's dig into that a little bit because I was in that spot. Some of you who come to Fam Church, you know my story. I was in a lot of trouble when I was a teenager. I got into a lot of drugs and a lot of alcohol, and I got to be honest with you. I liked who I was when I was drunk and who I was hot when I was high. Why? Because I'd go to places, I'd go to parties, I'd get drunk, I'd get high, and I'd be the clown there. Okay, I'd be doing all kinds of crazy stuff. I'd be doing all kinds of stupid stuff and everybody would be looking at me and they'd be laughing at me and they always wanted me there. Why? Because I made everybody else laugh. And that was the favorite thing about myself was that when I would go to those things and be a part of those things, everybody would laugh. And when it came time when I was confronted with who Jesus was, my main concern was that I was going to be changed and I wouldn't be the likable person that I was when I was drunk and when I was high because I couldn't do those things anymore. But you want to know what? The truth was that wasn't the real me in the first place. You see, when you're in an altered state on alcohol and on drugs, the person that comes out is not the person you are. And see, some of you are holding on to things in your life because you're afraid. You're afraid because of your perception of Jesus that you're somehow going to become a different person, that you're going to somehow become unlikable, that you're going to somehow become something that you don't want to become. 
But when you add something else into the mix, that's not the real you in the first place. See, God created each one of us to be a person living in him, walking with him, his power, his might, his life flowing through us, and that's who he designed us to be. And if we're living anything else or anything different, we are not who Jesus created us to be, and we are not our real selves. And it all comes rooted in false perceptions about who we are and who Jesus is. The Romans had a perception of Jesus that said they needed an armed military unit to arrest him. Their perception was he was a threat to their kingdom. He was a threat to their power. And the religious leaders had a similar perception. They thought that Jesus was a threat to their place at the religious table and the power that they had in that aspect of people's lives. But their perception was wrong because Jesus wasn't interested in any of those things. He didn't want Caesar's throne. He didn't want the seat of the high priest around the Sanhedrin at the Jewish council. There was only one thing that Jesus was interested in, and that was working in the lives of men and women to be the person that God created them to be. He came so that we could take our issues, so that we could take our dysfunctions, so that we could take our problems, so that we could take all of that stuff and bring it to his feet and say, Jesus, I know this stuff is not me. Let me set this at your feet so you can touch it, so you can heal it, so that you can deliver me from it. But we live in fear of the real us. We need to embrace the real us as Jesus has designed us to be. And Jesus is here this morning to get rid of your false perceptions and see Jesus for who he really is and what he can do in our life to make us who he has called us to be. All right, so let's get on to our main point this morning. So once again, the army and the temple police show up to arrest Jesus, and once they arrive, they seem to be a little confused. They don't arrest anyone, but instead it says they just stand there. Jesus, knowing they're here to arrest someone, says, who are you here for? Jesus, he knew they were there for him, but he asked the question anyway. The troops answer, Jesus of Nazareth. Nazareth, He replies, I am he. And with those words, the text tells us that they drew back and fell down. Okay, the first thing, I've got to get a tissue because I can't shake this illness I've had for the last week and a half. All right. So the first thing is it says, I am he in the text. The word he is not actually in the text, okay? The English translators added the word he because they wanted the sentence to make sense. Because saying I am didn't make sense. But you know what? That's exactly what Jesus said. Jesus said, I am. And then it says, when he spoke those words, the soldiers fell back. And it's a little bit of a gentle translation that they fell back. Because when you look at what actually happened, because when I, when I hear that word fell back, kind of what I think of is uh, Jesus saying, oh, here I am, I'm here, and they're going, oh, oh, that's Jesus. Just bow down. That is not what happens in the text. See, what happens is Jesus says, I am, and the soldiers are knocked to the ground by the power that came out from those words when Jesus spoke them to them. So who is this I am? Why is there significance in that? 
The first time this phrase was used, it was used by, the God, by God to Moses in the book of Exodus, way back in the Old Testament. They were God's words to Moses when he asked God what his name was. God uh, was asking Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt and to the promised land, uh, but Moses wasn't well liked by his Jewish family, and so because of that, Moses was concerned that the Jewish people would not accept him when he shows up to deliver them out of slavery, and so he thought that if he could whip out God's name, this would somehow help the situation, you know? If you can, you know, he was trying to name drop, was what Jesus was trying to do. He was trying to take someone's name, drop it out there, hopefully that the Jews would go, oh, okay, you know so-and-so, well, you're all good. And I, I find this kind of funny because can you see this conversation playing out if uh, God had told uh, Jesus, or I mean, if God had told Moses, like, some random name, you know, like, uh, what is your name that I can tell them? Well, my name is uh, Brian. Uh, my name is Hank. My name is Jim. I mean, could you just imagine hearing that? Or, well, I, I, would, I would find it kind of funny. I don't know about you. Maybe, maybe you wouldn't find it funny, but if God just said, hey, my name is Brian, oh, okay, but God, in his response to Moses, was, my name is I am. That's not a satisfying answer, but in those two words, God was proclaiming something, and so was Jesus in answering the soldiers that way. See, Jesus was proclaiming and communicating that he was, first of all, God. That this person standing before them was the same one who created the world and put it into motion. He was the one who has always been and always be. He was the one that led their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to the promised land. And in the same God that had the power to deliver Israel from the most powerful force on the earth at that time, the nation of Egypt, was contained inside this body of Jesus. See, in those two simple words, Jesus was letting them know that the one that they came to arrest was infinitely beyond them in power, presence, or ability. That came through in what happened after Jesus spoke the words, I am. As I said, they, uh, the soldiers, they, 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 uh, it, it says that they fell down. They literally fell down to the ground with Jesus just speaking those words, I am. The power that was released took the soldiers and knocked them down to the ground. And what was communicated there was that his name and beyond that, the words of Jesus were enough to overpower this army that had come out to arrest him. I mean, think about that. The words of Jesus were enough to take them down. You know, sticks and stones can break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Jesus' words can take out an army. And the thing is, is that this, the same thing is still true today. The words of Jesus have the power and authority to take out anything that stands in front of us. It doesn't matter what surrounds us. The words and power of Jesus are enough to take and knock them down. Unfortunately, what happens is too many believers take the word of God, take the words of Jesus as something that's just a suggestion for their life. It's something that they can apply it if they feel like applying it. It's something that they can use if they feel like using it. 
But when we do that, as a believer in Jesus, we are denying the power of Jesus Christ to work in our life because at those spoken words that he has given us in the New Testament and at the words that he speaks into our life, they have the power to change, transform, and control every situation and circumstance we find ourselves in. Speaking his name, speaking his word has the power or the potential to unleash power beyond our comprehension. And if you are here today and you've been saying to yourself, man, I wish I had access to God's power like that, you do. All of us have access to that power because it's contained in the words of Jesus. It has the same authority that it had 2,000 years ago, and we need to take it up, pick it up, and use it in our lives for the power that it has to move and work. But there's something else that happens in this, an event that, in this event that shows us just how powerful these words Jesus spoke are. And so to, to get to this, I want to go to Mark, uh, the book of Mark chapter 14, verses 51 and 52. It's going to be on the screen. So, and this is what it says. And this is the same story. It's the same event. Um, it's this uh, arresting of Jesus. And uh, Mark includes this. It says, a young man wearing nothing but a linen garment was following Jesus. When they seized him, he fled naked, leaving his garment behind him. Okay, so how many of you just heard me read that text and thought, uh, oh, I'm a little bit concerned right now. Might be a little weird. You know, you were concerned about coming to church in the first place, but now we got a naked young man running through the garden, and uh, I don't know so much about this. And um, if there's others in here who uh, don't have a problem, you say, well, I run naked through the garden all the time. Um, We maybe need to have some uh, counseling this week. Uh, Just set an appointment. We'll get that taken care of. But see, this is why this text is mentioned right here, right after Jesus spoke, I am, and the guards fell down. For us to get to what happened here, we have to figure out who this naked guy is. And many in church history have said that it was probably Mark, the guy who wrote the book. He wanted to insert himself in the story of Jesus to lend credibility to it as a firsthand witness to what took place. I don't think that's the case. And, I don't, and the reason is because what they say he is wearing. All right, it says he's wearing a linen undergarment, okay? He's wearing the ancient version of tidy whities Who's rocking the tidy whities in the house today? Anyone? All right. But here's the deal. See, in in that time when a body was prepared for burial, they would take a linen cloth, wrap it around its waist, and the groin area, and that's all that person would be wearing. They would anoint his body, prepare them for burial, and then they would take them and set them in the tomb. Adding another piece to this puzzle is that the Garden of Gethsemane, where they were at, where Jesus was arrested, at the foot of the garden was a large cemetery still in use today. When Jesus spoke those words, I am, the power so shook the place where they were at that literally a young man was raised from the dead out of the cemetery. At the words of Jesus, a man came back to life. He got up out of the grave and went to find who had spoken that had brought him back from the dead. And when he found Jesus, the Romans saw him and they went after him and he fled naked. That's how this guy ended up in this story. But that's the power of God. And then three days later, this was on a Friday, three days later, that same power was released 
with Jesus as he laid in that tomb, that power came in there and brought him back to life and resurrected him from the dead. That same power that was there when Jesus said, I am. That same power that was there when that young man came out of the tomb. And that same power that is there, that was there when Jesus came back from the dead is still alive and moving and working and can do great things in your situation if you will let him. This morning there are some of you that are in this room. And you're saying to yourself, man, I don't know about this whole Jesus thing. I've got this weird perception. But you're standing there and you're looking all around you. And what you see all around you is you see Roman soldiers surrounding you. And you're saying to yourself, how do I get out of this? Can I tell you this morning that there's a name that if you speak into that situation, if you come to him and declare that name, he will tear down, he will destroy those forces that are surrounding you trying to destroy you. And the same goes for those who believe in Jesus today. Too many Christians live with their lives surrounded by stuff that they don't need surrounding them. But the good news is that the power of Jesus is still moving and working. And the power of Jesus can still knock those things down and knock them out of your way. But you've got to let him. And so this morning what we're going to do in closing is this. Eden is going to sing the song, Do It Again. And we're going to believe for God to do that again in people's lives. We're going to believe for God to come and break down from God, to knock down from God, to remove all of the stuff that's standing in our way and keeping us from what God has for our life. If you're here this morning and you don't know who Jesus is or you're not a follower of Christ, I'm going to be standing right down here in front. You can come down to me. I want, to, I want to talk you through the process of how you become a follower of Jesus. For the rest of you, if you're trying to access the power of God, the front of the room is going to be open. We're just going to respond to God for a few minutes here. I just want to challenge you to come down front and to sing those words. God, do it again. Do it again in my life. And so let's take a few minutes. Whichever part is for you, it's time for you to move and to encounter the powerful God that rose from the grave. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.